Hi everyone, welcome once again to Dan1132. I'm Jim Wittivine and I'm happy to be here with you once again. This is episode 55 of the podcast. And this episode is going to be a little bit different than previous episodes. First of all, I've got uh, a lot of the text of what I want to say written down. Uh, I don't want to ramble and I don't want to forget anything. And I'm citing a lot of uh, a lot of scripture passages as well. So if you notice as you're watching on Rumble that I'm reading things off, well, that's because I'm, I'm reading things off. Uh, so, and also if you're listening to the podcast, you might want to have uh, a Bible open in front of you because I'm going to be citing a number of texts. And the issue I'm going to be dealing with specifically today is an issue that's come from uh, various listeners and uh, people who watch the uh, the podcast on Rumble, and that's the issue of fear-mongering or living in fear. And there are people who share the, the same concerns that I have and the concerns that I've been speaking about for the past year and a bit on this podcast and also in articles and, and various other places uh, about the situation in which we find ourselves in the world today. And the accusation is made that these people are living in fear. So what do we do with that? How can we uh, counter that claim? Uh, and are we actually fear-mongering? Are we actually encouraging people to live in fear? Well, the fact is that we are living in dangerous times. And there are many things happening in the world that should concern us deeply. And that concern, I believe, should lead us to take steps to prepare ourselves for the difficult days that lie ahead. And that preparation is spiritual, it's physical, it's emotional. It's preparation in terms of learning about what's going on, but also practical steps that we need to take in order to prepare. So that's that's my thesis. That's what I'm going to be speaking about. Now, before I get into detail about that, about what that means... I want to uh, speak to that issue of fear-mongering. Now, as Christians, we know we are to be confident, we're to have courage, we're, we're to not be afraid. And so we need to hear the words that the Lord said to Moses, the words that Moses said to Joshua, that Joshua said to the people of Israel, what David said to his son Solomon. And those are the, these words, be strong and courageous, fear not, do not be dismayed. And so also the words of the Lord Jesus following up on this, this injunction to be strong and courageous, those are words that also need to be lived by. And that's what he said in Matthew chapter 6. He said, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Therefore, he said, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And that's Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 33. So what I have to say in response to the accusation of living in fear or fear-mongering and I know many people share, uh, have, have heard the same things, who, who share my concerns. And my response is this. There is a difference, a huge difference, between being awake to what's happening in the world and acting prudently, being proactive, 
getting informed, speaking out, and practically preparing in the light of the current situation. There's a big difference between that and living in fear or promoting fear and anxiety or fear-mongering. So there's a big difference between being a realist, in short, and an alarmist. And being a realist, preparing for the worst, does not mean living in fear or lacking confidence in the Lord. And to illustrate this, I want to refer specifically to two scripture passages that I believe are very applicable to this topic. And the first is from Luke chapter 21, verses 20 to 24, the words of the Lord Jesus. And he says this in Luke 21, 20 to 24. He says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against the people, against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be, will, and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So that's the first passage I want to refer to. And the second is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 7, the verses 25 to 31. And in this passage, we read this, 1 Corinthians 7, 25 to 31. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So first of all, Luke 21. In Luke 21, the Lord Jesus is speaking specifically about the impending destruction of Jerusalem. The city and the temple are going to be destroyed. The people of the city are going to be slaughtered. Basically, not one brick is going to remain on top of another. The city is going to be wiped out. That was it. This was the end of the line for the city that had rejected the Messiah, the Lord's anointed one. The Roman armies would come, and they would raise the city to the ground. And so this is exactly, we know from history, this is exactly what happened in the year 70 AD. And the Lord Jesus also spoke about this pending disaster in Matthew chapter 24. But take special note of what he says. He says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. Now, that is some very practical advice, we could say. It's based on a sure prophecy of what was to come. So Jesus wanted his believing listeners to be prepared. And when they saw the signs, to get out of there. Now, we could hardly, it would be blasphemous, really, to accuse Jesus of 
of fear-mongering or promoting fear among his listeners. He knows without a doubt what's going to happen, and he wants his people to be ready, and he wants them to escape from the destruction that was to come. Now, it's obvious for us, when we express our concerns about what's happening in our generation, we're not speaking from the same position as the Lord Jesus. It goes almost, should go without saying. The Lord Jesus, he is the Lord. He's the Lord of history. His knowledge of the future was absolute. It was complete. So we don't have that knowledge, that infallible knowledge, that perfect insight into the future. So at best, we can look at the current situation and we can draw our conclusions from it. And those conclusions may be mistaken. We may believe that things are going to get worse in the short term based on evidence. We may believe that that getting worse is going to be pretty bad. But we could be wrong. We could be wrong in terms of the duration of the trouble that we believe is coming. And we could also be wrong about the severity of the trouble that we believe is coming, and which is already here. Now, the Lord Jesus spoke infallibly, the very words of God, as God himself, and we are very fallible. But what I want to emphasize is this, that the instruction that the Lord Jesus gave to his people has a lot to say to us in the way that he instructed them. He says, when you see the signs, in this case, when you see the approaching Roman armies, do not disregard them. Don't say something like, I have nothing to worry about. It's all in the Lord's hands. He's in control. I can just let today's trouble be enough for today, because that's what Jesus said. I don't have to be anxious, Jesus told me. And therefore, I'm just going to sit right here in Jerusalem, and I'm going to trust in the Lord. No, he says, get out. And get out quickly. Because if you're in Jerusalem, Jesus says, when Titus and his armies, the, the, uh, the Roman general Titus and his armies, when they arrive, you are going to wind up just as dead as your unbelieving neighbors are going to. Now, as for the other passage, the Apostle Paul's message to the Corinthians in that other passage that we read, I just want to highlight the following words. He says, in view of the present distress, or an alternative translation of what he says here, in view of the coming distress or the distress that is to come shortly, it is good for a person to remain as he is. And then he says, the appointed time has grown very short. The present form of this world is passing away. And so it's, it's important for us to understand what Paul is saying here and what he's not saying. He's speaking to a very specific situation in Corinth at the time when he's writing this letter. So there's a very definite historical context to what he says here, to this message. It's a message, of course, that's still very applicable to us today, as all of Scripture is applicable to us. But we need to remember that Paul was writing a letter to a specific group of believers, specific churches, in a specific time and a specific place, a very specific historical context. So we don't know exactly what that present distress or that distress which was soon to come, we don't know exactly what that was. Some commentators say that it was a famine, which led to a grain shortage, 
which led to, obviously, a lack of food and hunger and to social upheaval at that time. And that makes sense. That happened historically around that time period. But once again, what I want to point out is that the Apostle Paul is giving some very specific instructions about how he wanted the Corinthian believers to behave in the light of the current situation. He wants them to act prudently in that situation. And that, that situation was going to be tough. It was going to be difficult. But he wants them to take practical steps with that coming distress in mind. Now again, he doesn't tell the Corinthians to continue living as they had been living without taking into account the difficulties that they were going to encounter in the near future. He doesn't tell them to be passive and to be trusting and to continue on as they had been doing without concerning themselves about these difficulties. Again, there's no passive fatalism here. And that leads me back to those words, be strong and courageous. And the first time we encounter those words in Scripture is in Deuteronomy chapter 31. And I'll read the first eight verses of that chapter. In Deuteronomy 31, beginning at verse 1, we read this. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over, over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the king of the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua. And said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So let's take a closer look at this passage. First of all, Moses gives the message to the people of Israel in general. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord, your God, who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. That's verse 6. And then in verses 7 and 8, Moses speaks directly to Joshua, and he does this in the presence of all the people. And he basically says the same thing again. He says, be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And it's good to repeat these words because the Bible repeats these words a number of times. And so obviously the Lord knows that we need to hear these words. But we need to think about this repeated phrase. Why is it that God chose to repeat this phrase so often with that extra admonition at the end to not fear and to not be dismayed. 
Why does he tell Israel, do not fear or be in dread of them? Now, here's the, here's the thing. You don't tell people, do not be afraid, when there is nothing that might cause them to be afraid. Now, an example, let's, let's say you're taking your family, you're taking your kids to go visit another family, maybe for a barbecue or something like that. And you tell them where you're going, where they'll be going, and you load them up in the car and, and you uh, load up all the things that you need. Perhaps you're taking some things along with you as well to contribute. You get everything ready. And then you tell them, well, what is it that you tell them? Do you tell them in this circumstance, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not fear or be in dread of them. Of course not. You don't tell them that. They know these people. They're friends. They know that they're going to have fun with them and fear and dread are the last two words or the last two emotions or attitudes that would ever cross their mind in this circumstance. So you won't say that, but you will say in another situation, do not be afraid, be strong and courageous. Don't fear them or dread them. You'll say that when you're actually going to be entering into a dangerous situation. These are words of preparation and encouragement for people who know that they're going into battle. And not only are they aware of the fact that they're going to be going into battle, they know, in this case specifically, that they're going to be fighting against giants who want nothing more than to destroy them. They know that they're in for the struggle of their lives. They know that there's a good chance that they might fall in the battle. And that's why they need that encouragement. And so Moses doesn't say, don't worry. There's no enemy out there. He doesn't tell the Israelites that there's no battle that they're going to have to worry about. He doesn't deny that things are going to get rough, that there are going to be sufferings and trials that they're going to have to face, that they might die. But what he does say, and what Joshua would also go on to repeat, is that Israel could go in, they could go into the land, and they could go into the fight, and they could battle with boldness and with confidence because the Lord was on their side. Now, one final point along these same lines, and I want to turn also to Ephesians chapter 6. Because in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul tells us that we need to put on the whole armor of God. Now look at what he says in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So he's basically saying the same, same thing here that the Lord said to Moses, that Moses said to Joshua, that Joshua said to the people, that David said to Solomon. Be strong and courageous. And then he goes on to speak about the whole armor of God and why that armor is necessary. And it's necessary because we're going to have to stand up against the schemes of the devil, against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's verses 11 to 13. So those are, we could say, some pretty serious enemies. And they're serious enemies because there is a spiritual war that's being played out here in this world. 
And so in that spiritual battle, we need to be strong in the Lord. We need to put on his armor in order to do battle in this situation. The enemy is real. His plans are real. His servants are real. They're powerful. And we cannot face those enemies on our own. So first of all, there's the acknowledgement that the enemy is real. That there are forces out there that are arrayed against us. And that means that we're going to need courage in order to stand up against them. But we're also at the same time going to need more than that. We're going to need more than just courage, our own personal courage. We're going to need the whole armor of God. We're going to need the belt of truth. We're going to need the breastplate of righteousness. We're going to need the shoes of the readiness given by the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. We're going to need the sword of the spirit. So we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. We need to, first of all, remember, first and foremost, remember that we are going into battle. And there's no way that we're going to be victorious in this battle if we, first of all, don't even acknowledge that the enemy exists, that he's active, that he's fighting for all he's worth, that he's recruited many human servants to fight for him and against us. So if we minimize the strength that the enemy has, if we shut our eyes to the reality of the battle that's being waged and our place in it, if we forget that a spiritual war is being waged and continues to be waged and that this war is being fought on many fronts, we're doomed. We're going to be destroyed. If we don't recognize the enemy for who he is, we won't see the urgency in clothing ourselves with the whole armor of God and actually getting out there on the battlefield. That's not fear-mongering. To say that is not fear-mongering. It's not living in fear. It's biblical realism. And that's really why I speak about the issues that I address and that I've been addressing on this podcast for over a year. Because I believe that we all need to be equipped to understand, first of all, the spirit of the age and the forces that are united against the Lord and against his anointed, as Psalm 2 says. The enemy can be and often is subtle. He works in very subtle ways. And he, and he disguises himself as an angel of light. But he also, at the same time, is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And how does he work? Well, he works through institutions. He works through governments and states. He works through organizations. He works through individuals. He does that in small, localized ways, in individual ways. But he also does that on a grand scale. And we can see the results very clearly, especially in the Western world, in the formerly Christian nations of the Western world. We see how the state and the mass media and the multinational corporations are working in concert, united against the Lord and against his anointed. We see, as a result of that, we see our freedoms being eroded and taken away. We see also economic problems, and those economic problems caused by foolish, short-sighted, humanistic, selfish policies. We see those, those problems growing. 
skyrocketing inflation. We're seeing that right now. Supply chain problems, other things that we're experiencing. Shortages, lack of labor, issues surrounding food production. We see really, to speak bluntly, insanity taking over in the institutions of higher learning in the Western world. And we see that we see them, the intellectual class, and their ideas being promoted and enforced by governments through new laws, through new measures being taken, through new bills being passed, about gender ideology. This month, Pride Month, very obvious, in our face. Uh, promotion of transsexualism and homosexuality. Destruction of the family. And all, murder of the very young. Murder of the very old. All of this being done supposedly in the name of compassion and tolerance, in the name of inclusion. So we see also the religion of the prophets of environmental doom. We see the anti-human policies of the population control advocates. We see also the scientistic worldview being promoted and applied as if science and technology could be our savior and could lead us out of the wilderness and bring us to eternal life and peace here on this earth. All kinds of, of conflicting worldviews are, are being brought together to form an incoherent philosophy or guiding principles, which are putting more and more pressure on us as God's people. And I have to say, if, if we continue to put our collective head in the sand, if we refuse to acknowledge how serious the situation is, if we live in denial, then there's nothing else to say, then we are in big trouble. Now the question is, is this fear-mongering? And I would argue very strongly, no, it's not. It's biblical realism. It's understanding the nature of the world. It's understanding the nature of our place and our role in this world. And it's learning about what we need to do, as I say repeatedly on this podcast, to stand firm and to take action in the face of everything that's going on. So when we see organizations like the World Health Organization and the United Nations and the various wings and arms of the, of the United Nations and the World Economic Forum and the Bilderberg Group, and, and we see them working together with the obscenely wealthy and powerful and their supposedly philanthropic organizations. We see them all working together, penetrating the world's governments, as they themselves say, working to recreate the world, to reset it according to their own image and according to their own principles. And those principles, by the way, which are absolutely 100% opposed to the principles of God's word, when we see that, we need to speak out and we need to inform our brothers and sisters. And in doing that, the last thing that we want to do is encourage people to hide under the covers, crawl into bed and hide under the covers and not come out because things are so horrible in this world that, that there's no point in even poking your head out. No, acknowledging reality doesn't mean that we live in fear and we cower in fear and we hide away. Far from it. Because 
when we know what's really going on, when we inform ourselves about history and the movements of history and about current events, what's happening today, about the reality of our situation, we do that knowing that the words of Psalm 2 verse 4 and following are just as true as the words of Psalm 2 verse 2. Psalm 2 verse 2, we read, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. They conspire together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now they did that in the days of the psalmist. But make no mistake, they continue to do that today. Things have not changed. But we also remember the words of verses 4 and following. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So in the end, we're on the winning side. The Lord wins, not the pretenders to the throne. The one who sits on the throne is the victor, not those who are trying to place themselves on the throne. To speak to an ancient historical example of this, they may be wanting to build their tower to the heavens, but the Lord looks down on them and sees what they're doing, and he can overturn all of their greatest and grandest and supposedly most glorious plans in an instant. That's the God who's in control. That's the God who we serve. But in the end, to conclude, what I want to say here. That doesn't mean that we sit back and it doesn't mean that we wait for the Lord to act, that we remain passive. Strength and courage, being strong and courageous means fighting. The God of peace, this is from Romans chapter 16, the God of peace will crush Satan. But it's important to remember, we must remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 16, that he will crush Satan under our feet. It's us who must do the crushing. That is our responsibility. That's our calling. To go back to what the Apostle Paul says about the armor of God for a moment, just look at what he says in verse 18 of that chapter. He says, keep alert with all perseverance. So I just want to conclude by saying that keeping alert is not the same, if far from it, as living in fear. Wanting to alert people about what's going on, who may not understand or may not know what's going on or may not be aware of what's going on, is not fear-mongering. It's heeding the Lord's own command, it's listening to his encouragement, and it's living according to it. So that's why I do what I do in this podcast in my own small way to contribute in some way to helping people to keep alert and to understand what's going on and to understand the movements of what's happening in this world. It's not a matter of living in fear or wanting to encourage other people to live in fear. Just the opposite is the case. It's an encouragement for us in the words of Daniel 11 verse 32 to know our God and knowing our God to stand firm and to take action in confidence, in boldness, not fearing,
but being courageous, putting on the armor of God, going forward, knowing that God is in control, knowing that we're in a battle, yes. Knowing that this battle can be fierce, yes. Knowing that things are not going to be easy for us. Knowing that we live in this world which is divided between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Allying ourselves firmly with the seed of the woman, fighting boldly against the seed of the serpent. And in doing that, being used by God as his tools by which and through which he will crush Satan under our feet. So I hope that this has been uh, helpful for you and I hope that it's been encouraging for you. And my prayer, as always, is that the things that we talk about in this podcast will help us to know what's going on in this world, to understand and interpret the current events and historical processes in the light of God's word, to examine them, and to uh, respond by standing firm and taking action. So until next time, may God bless you. If you found this helpful, please do pass on the link to the Rumble channel and also to the podcast on uh, Anchor and Spotify and Apple Podcasts and wherever else podcasts are found. And may God, in his grace, help us to uh, be as the Apostle Paul encouraged us to be and to do the things that he encouraged us to do, to keep alert with all perseverance, knowing that with God on our side, no one can be against us.